all have needs and desires and seek to discover our own erotic journey. You've come to the right place. This is Seek, Discover, Create with Lexi Silver, presented by SDC. In the next hour, we're here to answer your burning questions about relationships, sexuality, and health from the leading sex experts and professionals. Now, here is your host, Lexi Silver. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to SDC Presents Seek, Discover, Create. I'm your host, Lexi Silver. And today we're going to talk about sexual health, specifically STIs and STDs and why having one does not mean the end of your sex life. We're also going to talk about how to protect yourselves and how to talk to your partners about your status. Joining me today to share his firsthand knowledge is Courtney Brame, the founder and podcast host of Something Positive for Positive People, which I will abbreviate for the rest of the show as SPFPP, a nonprofit organization that provides experience-based support resources for anyone navigating stigma around STIs and STDs. And later in today's show, I'll be answering some questions from you, the audience, during Letters to Lexi. If you want me to give you some lectual advice with the bonus help of my special guest or guests each week, Write into me at Lexi at SDC.com and connect with me on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Lexi Silver. That's Lexi with an I, a silver with a Y. You can also check out LexiSilver.com for more info. Before we start our chat with Courtney, I want to thank our sponsor, SDC.com, your and my expert source of exclusive information about sex, health, and relationships, where you can also access the world's largest lifestyle dating platform. Use my special promo code 7070 to get two months free at sdc.com. That's 7070 to get two months free at SDC. So get ready to fearlessly embrace your lectuality with Courtney and I. Let me tell you a little bit more about my special guest today. Courtney Bram is the founder and podcast host of Something Positive for Positive People, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that provides experience-based support resources for anyone navigating stigma. What began as a suicide prevention resource for people dealing with a herpes diagnosis has become a tool of empowerment and community for anyone facing stigma. To learn from people sharing their own stories on the podcast, I'm so thrilled that you are here to share your stories with me today. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you for being on my show. Hey, thank you for having me. I think it's like overdue. I think we've been talking about this for a little while. So I'm very happy that we finally get a chance to have this conversation because I get a lot of questions. Let me find out a little bit more about you. You have a very interesting backstory. I want to know a little bit more about why you decided to found something positive for positive people. All right. So first, let me preface this with I am not a medical professional. I'm not a yes. therapist. <laughs> Don't let behind my name. Uh, everything that I'm speaking to is just 100% experience-based and through conversations that I've had with other people who are now STI diagnosis. So it started for me, maybe it's, I'm on the eighth year of my genital HSV2 herpes since the diagnosis. So I don't know how long I've had it. I just know that I was diagnosed eight years ago. So when I first found out that I was positive, I woke up actually with fever symptoms or I had flu-like symptoms. I had a fever. I was achy, I had body chills, I was hot and cold, and it took for me to get up and go to the restroom, and I looked down at my dick, and at like the top quarter of it on the right-hand side, there was sort of like a cluster of bumps that looked like if you can envision the surface of a meteor or a comet, like that's what it looked like, about the size of a nickel. And I remember screaming, what the fuck? And I'm 31. so. Um, I was 23, I believe. I was 23 or 24 when I was diagnosed. Um, 
and I was living with my grandmother and my mom just so happened to be over as well. My grandmother was like, you okay? And I was like, we got to go to the right now. <laughs> so uh, go to the doctor and he pretty much diagnosed me on the spot. He gave me medication for in case uh, I had been exposed to chlamydia or gonorrhea. And then uh, I got tested for other STIs, but he was sure it was hurting. So he wrote me a prescription, um, gave me the test or did the culture and then sent me on my way with a little bit of additional information. So after my diagnosis, after my verbal diagnosis or tentative diagnosis, um, I get home and I'm just kind of like, man, I hope I didn't give this to anybody else. So I shoot a text to uh, my most recent partners at that time and just asked if they had herpes and all of them told me no. So I was like, all right, well, I guess, you know, I, I don't know where this came from but oh good that's a very relieving feeling to know that i didn't pass this on to anybody else uh at that point in time so uh that was the real feeling behind it was just that and then a little bit of embarrassment maybe because it's like all right now i've got an incurable std so i do my research uh looking at the pamphlet that they gave me and then going online and doing any sort of Google searching, it's very conflicting information out yeah. there and it's so inconsistent. So the language even is inconsistent. So you've got HSV-1, HSV-2. HSV stands for herpes simplex virus. And these are the virus, it's the virus that causes um, a herpes outbreak is how it's described. So type one is primarily oral, but you can pass it on genitally and have genital herpes. And then type two is primarily genital, but can also be passed on orally, which is really rare. But in between that language, and then when we talk about statistics at all, uh, you'll see that one in six, one in five, one in four, one in three, one in two. And the numbers of how many people have which type, what location, um, and then how many people have both, or how many people know and don't know, all of this looks so conflicting. So it's really challenging for people to uh, know exactly how to communicate this to potential partners, because on one hand, you're telling them all of the factual information about like how common herpes is. And let's say you say half of the world has herpes, and then they go Google how many people have herpes, and then you see it broken down differently. And so when you're doing that, um, it could look to them as if you're just trying to sort of make yourself feel better by saying so many people have herpes, but then they get on there and they find one of the uh, one in six, one in five statistics talking about the different types of herpes and the different types of locations and whether or not a person knows or doesn't know. So there's a lot of that out there. So my intention with something positive for positive people, uh, first off is, you know, to, as a suicide prevention resource, and I'll touch on that in a bit. But the big thing for me is to give people the tools that they need in order to navigate stigma. The most important piece of this, of dealing with the herpes diagnosis, is understanding, all right, what am I going to do now? There's so much stigma about things related to sex. The way I see it is when you have an STR or an STD, it's like when you have a cold or you know any other virus. It's not something to feel ashamed about. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and we often do mainly because what I find in the guests that I interview and the people who may reach out to me after a diagnosis is that our identities are so interconnected with our sexuality that when we get an STD, yeah, our sexuality is now 
a little bit more challenged and conflicting, but the damage that our perception of a diagnosis does to our sexuality is actually uh, like dragging down into our being and who we believe ourselves to be. So our identity is now crushed and we don't know who we are anymore after a positive diagnosis until we begin to deal with it and deal with all of the things around it. So yes. herpes specifically can bring up feelings about not only sex, but not only our relationships or how we date or our chosen partners or our friendships and relationships around us because now it's like, okay, I'm dealing with this challenging thing that I have to, it directly impacts my sex life. But if I'm dealing with this in so many other ways of my life, if I don't have friends that I can talk to about this, then that also brings up you know, issues with how you have those kinds of relationships and uh, what your support system may look like. So this is just the surface level, uh, the herpes diagnosis of a lot more things that need to be examined in our lives. It's incredible that there are so many people who have had an STI or have STDs or STIs. It's very hard to talk about. It's hard for them to talk about. They don't feel like they have anyone to talk to. And having those resources to be able to do that, other than, for example, a medical professional, right? They can only do so much for you. They're going to say, okay, this is how you treat it or don't. Here's how you can prevent it or not. All of these different things, which are health-based. But when it comes to our mental health, you need to talk to someone who has had experience, who understands what it feels like to have a positive diagnosis and to understand, to be able to relate a little bit better. Yeah. Oftentimes when people receive a diagnosis or they want to get tested or get treatment, they'll go to their doctor, like their primary care provider. They'll like call where they normally go for whatever else they go for, physicals, annual visits, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's the person that does the testing. That's the person delivering the diagnosis. And what I'm finding is that when we get into more sex positive spaces. So there's a, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri, and they're, at the time they were called St. Louis Effort for AIDS. They have a new name now, and I believe it's Vivent, ah, it's, it's something that starts with a V, but they rebranded recently. And this place does free STI testing. And when you go there, while it's called Effort for AIDS, you know, there's some internal stigma that people may have to navigate as far as potentially being seen walking into an AIDS building, right? Mm -hmm. What the name is, but this place does free STI testing. And I know that there are several places that do that. They provide free testing, free treatment. Uh, they provide free barriers, free sex education, or, you know, it's affordable. But in these spaces, this is what they see on a regular basis. So they're dealing with people um, in the LGBT community. They're dealing with people who have alternative relationship styles. So when you, when they ask you, you know, how many partners have you had over the last six months, which I don't even think that's a question that they ask. It's just uh, a matter of figuring out whether or not you're a candidate for PrEP, for instance. So me, I'm a heterosexual man coming in here and I got tested and they asked me, do you have sex with men? Do you do any uh, anal, uh, I forget how they ask, but they're very hip and like up to date on knowledge and conversation. She was like, are you, do you do any rimming? Are you familiar with rimming? And I looked at her, I was like, you really just asked me that? Cause I didn't expect that. And I, I'm familiar with the knowledge, but I didn't expect this type of conversation, dialogue. I mean, if I have sex with men and these questions are being asked in a way to where it's not like, I feel like I'm being judged. I feel like I'm being cared for. Mm -hmm. I feel like taking the information from me in order to provide me with the highest quality level 
of sexual health service that you can possibly get because the more comfortable I feel in divulging my information, the more honest I can be, the better they can serve me. So they did a really good job of this. And so I encourage people whenever you're going to get tested or get any kind of treatment at all to do a web search for STD testing near me or STI testing near me and frequent these nonprofit organizations, these places that you know, may on the surface say something about STDs or STI treatment because like these are the spaces that know what they're doing. You're not going to be met with stigma. And if you are met with stigma, these are spaces where they're looking to be able to improve on their uh, services. So I wanted to make sure just like to drop that in there as well. But that's typically where a lot of people face initial stigma is when they, you know, their doctor they've been seeing their entire lives finds out they're having sex, you know, they don't look at you like an adult who's having consensual uh, sexual relationships with partners. They're looking at you as, you know, the person that came in and got their, their shots when they were kids. Yes. <laughs> having that kind of source where you can actually go and talk to somebody who is not going to judge you, who knows and has seen this before, so you are not going to shock them. And you can talk openly about what's going on in your head and what's happening with your body. I think that is absolutely crucial. And we, we definitely do need more resources like that. I just want to take a super quick break. I want to get back to talking about STIs and STDs and testing and talking to your partners about it in a moment. For now, let me just tell you a little bit about the world's largest adult sex education platform, SDC.com, where you can find loads of information about sex, health, and relationships. Watch videos, listen to podcasts, and read articles from professionals all around the world, like Dr. Jess, Marla Stewart, Dr. Elizabeth Sheff, John and Jackie Melfi of Open Love 101, and many more SDC contributors. And as a bonus, I'll just add my name to that list because there are lots of lectural resources on SDC.com. So go check that out. Now, Courtney and I were just talking about getting tested, removing stigma from all of that stuff, and talking to people who have either experienced it before or really are just, you know, more familiar with what it takes to talk to somebody who has a positive diagnosis and to talk about all the different aspects of physical and the, the psychological aspects of it. So in the non-monogamous world, we're a little more open than the general public in terms of talking about our sexual health, right? Because our world does very often, like in the swinger community, for example, revolve around sex. So many of us get tested regularly and I go to a private clinic to get tested. Uh, that's that's me. That's my preference because I get super fast results and I get them emailed to me as well, which means that I can share them with my partners. I think that's for me very handy, especially if I want, if I am meeting someone new and I do want to know what their status is as well. I find it's a little bit easier sometimes to just show them, hey, check it out. This is my last test and, and everything like that. For me, it makes me feel more comfortable. And then I know that I've done my part as far as you know, keeping our community as protected as possible and making sure that other people are also taking responsibility for their sexual health. So I think that it's important to regularly get tested. But I want to know from you a little bit about what safe sex practices can people exert when they're sexually active? All right. So as far as safety goes... I'm learning that there's no way to completely just prevent yourself from contracting herpes. I mean, we don't really know like where it came from if you've gotten it or uh, if you're going to pass it on to someone new. The only things that we can do are things that reduce the vulnerabilities. So we're talking about just wearing condoms, which aren't 100% effective because they don't cover the entire surface area. And then there's also asymptomatic shedding. So 
the number one thing that we can do is really communicate. We've got to, speaking from the experience of someone who's living with herpes, like getting familiar with my own body, uh, communicating with a partner, like, hey, you know, I'm feeling a little bit of a tingle or a sensation that's saying to probably not, uh, let, let's probably not have sex this kind of way uh, because I want to protect you as best I can. But there's barriers and then there's medication that we can also take to reduce the risk. But I go into it, you know, with the understanding that there is always a risk and I do my best to communicate that to partners, you know, no matter if we do or don't choose to wear barriers uh, or if I don't feel that sensation, there's uh, still asymptomatic shedding where you can still pass on the virus without having any visible symptoms. So it's really just about communication, knowing your body and then having rapport with your significant others, your partners, so that you're all safe enough in communicating like, hey, this may not be uh, the best time right now because the chances of passing it on are a little bit higher. It's just good to point out the fact that no matter what we do, whatever protection we use, that's amazing and it's great and we should continue to do it, but nothing is 100%. So every time you go into having sex with somebody new, even if they just got tested recently, you know, uh, sometimes it takes a couple of weeks for uh, testing results to, to show up. So if, if you go and have sex and then you just got tested like two weeks ago in the between the time you got tested and the time you have sex with someone new, there was still a possibility that you might have, you know, gotten something. So there's only so much we can do. Barriers are great. You know, they're, they're definitely necessary, especially if you're in the non-monogamous community. I uh, think that it is crucial to always have some kind of barriers on hand. I know I do. I have a slutty little purse that I take with me with all the things inside if I need them, but it is very important to do. So another thing you were saying is communication, right? So if you do have a positive status, it's not the end of the world. And, you know, informing your partners is definitely, in my opinion, something that is a minimum responsibility to do. It's important to make sure that people are aware that they have to maybe check something else up on their own sexual health as well. I think it's just fair. I would know I know that I would want someone to tell me if they just recently got diagnosed, I would want to know to see if I can go see my doctor and get myself tested as well. I think it's just the minimum responsibility to our community that I can do. So how do you talk to people about your positive status when you have to make those phone calls how do you prep yourself for a phone call like that if you're feeling a little anxious and also like how do you what are the right words i guess to use to communicate that to people to not make them panic but just make them aware that you know this is the diagnosis that you got it doesn't mean that they have it either they but it's good for if they get themselves tested so how would you go about that <laughs> so herpes has been the only sti that i've had experience with it's been a matter of just disclosing so with my initial diagnosis when I reached out to see if I had given it to anyone else. It was just a matter of sending a text message and being like, hey, do you have herpes? Okay, if you don't have herpes, then I mean, I guess I don't need to tell you I have it, but I mean, I guess it's implied in me asking you. But uh, moving forward from there, there came the conversations around disclosure. So before being intimate with a new partner or before you, uh, before they become vulnerable to you passing it on to them, it's important that we have this dialogue, this exchange beforehand. Like you don't want to do it when you're in the heat of the moment, making out everyone's clothes are off. And then you're like, wait a minute, I have herpes. So, and then decide what to do from there. Uh, it's really dependent on who you are and what works best for you. Mm -hmm. um, what works best for me is 
I mean, given that I'm doing this podcast and I do this nonprofit with a Google search or <laughs> anything, like my name comes up with Herbie's, right? So it's best for me to just do it initially out the gate and just uh, share that information immediately. Like, hey, uh, here's the situation. I have herpes. Here is what I do for myself to minimize my outbreaks. Here's what we would need to do if we were to be intimate with one another. Here's some ways that we can play safely or uh, we can, here's some things that we can do that keep you from being at risk. We can just avoid the area altogether. And then we can just kind of get creative and playful about it. Now, here's a piece that's really important. Uh, we talk about disclosing our status to other people. And oftentimes when you're the person who carries the burden of having to disclose, we forget to ask the other person about their status because there's this little voice in the back of our mind that's like, I hope they don't reject me. I hope they don't reject me. And then we tell them, uh, I, I've been saying, you're going to get one of three responses. It's either going to be a no thanks, it's going to be a tell me more, or it's going to be a me too right? So the odds are essentially in your favor. And when we have this conversation, if we hear that tell me more, or we hear that me too, we could just completely just sever the idea of asking them when the last time was they were tested or what their SCI status is. So it's really important that this conversation be not just on the end of the person who is living with an SCI, but it's a conversation that all parties involved need to be having. Yes, absolutely. Being in this space and being, you know, free to kind of roam around and have sex with whoever I want, typically, again, not in quarantine times, but typically, right? I find it very interesting because sometimes I will talk to people and, uh, you know, they'll approach me for sex or something like that and we're hitting it off and then I'll ask the question. And some people are saying, they'll say, you know, oh yeah, well, you know, recently, um, I had, uh, you know, like a bout of, uh, of, of chlamydia or something like that, but I got, you know, I, I got over it. I'm like, well, where are you in your antibiotics? Like, it's just good to know, you know, it's, it's good to get a feel for what's going on. And people are becoming a little bit more open, I think, about talking about this sort of thing because of people like you who are going and bashing those stigmas and saying, hey, you know, it's okay to disclose. It's fine to be honest with people about what's going on and you know, there's no shame in it. That's I think that's a huge thing. I talk about shame a lot on the show and how we have to kind of get rid of it and get over it in order to be able to have a regular life and embrace like I like to say our sexuality. So having a positive diagnosis does not mean that you can't have sex still. You know, and I want to talk a little bit more about that kind of stigma and shame a little bit later. I have one more question for a little break. When is it a good time? to talk to somebody about your positive status? Like, let's say you just start dating somebody for the first time. Is it something that you think is important to say upfront during like your first date? Or is that something that you want to wait on a little bit until you know if you're connecting with the person a little bit more? So our health status in itself is very intimate information, depending on who you are, where you are in life and with your status, how confident you are, how whether or not you want to invest that kind of time into someone only for this to be a deal breaker, right? Mm -hmm. So, so many perspectives to look at this from. So from mine, I mentioned before that I just, I, it, for me, it's, it's coming up right away, right? So either it's a deal breaker for you or it isn't. And then we can move forward from there. there there's no like wasted time. Uh, someone else may want to wait a little bit and get to know someone. Dr. Evelyn Dacker is the executive director of Sex Positive Portland, and she has a TED Talk that's called STARS. And the acronym is for uh, 
sexual health, trauma or uh, turn-ons, avoids, relationship intention, and then safety. So these are five aspects of a conversation that you may want to have with a partner and they can so interchangeably be used to where you can get through the T, the A, the R, and the S before you even bring up the other S, which is your sexual health status, right? Mm -hmm. So if you come to find out that your turn-ons and your avoids are mismatched, you may not even want to take it that if you decide that your relationship intention with one another doesn't match up, you don't need to take it beyond that. You can enjoy your date, enjoy your time together. And then, you know, if you don't want to progress to physical intimacy, then you can have your date, go home and, you know, decide, all right, this isn't for me. And not even have to worry about disclosing to someone that you weren't even a match for. Yes. Now, for and who does make it through that aspect of the conversation and they choose to disclose, it's a matter of, you know, let's say you're out and that you are getting like turned on. It's like, oh, everything lines up. I'm going to tell you. Or maybe you wait until, you know, you go home at night. And maybe you're like, ah, oh, let me just send a text message and go, hey, you know, I really enjoyed things. Things were kind of hot and heavy on my end. I was really feeling you. I would love for our next date to escalate sexually, but I want to let you know that I have, and then you go, whatever whatever your SCI status is, and then you inform them of ways that you can keep them safe. I know that uh, one way that I did it was to just be sexy about it, right? Just have a sexy disclosure in terms of, you know, ooh, you know, I really liked when, uh, I liked the way you were, dress tonight i like the uh, how you looked in that dress or uh whatever and i was just imagining all these things i want to do to you or with you or for you but <laughs> we have to have a conversation first yeah so we can go into that and, and then um, that's where the disclosure comes in so you've already prefaced it with here's what you can expect from me if we decide to move forward and you can trust me to do everything i can on my end to keep you safe keep us safe what are we going to do are we going to do this so that i can do all of these things that i talked about doing to you before i disclosed or what and it sort of makes it playful and sexy right and then at that point they can turn it down they can turn the offer down they can ask you questions and request more information or they can say me too i also have i like the way you position that as something sexy it's like i want to do all these things we just have to have a little chat first and i think that also takes a bit of the pressure off right sometimes people approach things it's kind of like the we need to talk, you know, and right away, right away, you know, you're already feeling like a sense of impending doom, right? Like, oh, fuck. Okay, now what is it? You know, then your your worst case scenario is popping into your head. I like your approach. I think it's better to take it that way <laughs> than the, we need to talk and have this whole serious conversation. You can keep yeah. it you can keep it sexier. I'm going to take that little break that I was talking about. I want to tell you guys a little bit about my book because it just came out and I'm very excited about it. And if I haven't talked about it enough on the show, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about what to expect. My real erotic adventures and darkest fantasies come to life in this provocative collection of erotic short stories. Mating season lures you into the depths of the obscene as you read my favorite tales of daring group play, sapphic seduction, enticing encounters, and kinky BDSM. Join a cast of shameless characters in their pursuits to satisfy their decadent appetites for pleasure. Welcome to my playground where it's always mating season. 
Get mating season now in ebook and paperback at Amazon and LexiSilver.com. And follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LexiSilver. That's Lexi with an I, Silver with a Y. So Courtney and I were talking about disclosing and being sexy about it. We were talking a little bit about shame and stigma. And the reality is when it comes to sexual health, even having a vagina is something to be shameful about. So basically, you know, we are in a society, unfortunately, that frowns upon graphic and obscene sex, which you can imagine as somebody who just released a very obscene graphic novel about sex is, uh, <laughs> I, I understand what I'm up against. So, you know, when we're talking about our sexual health, it is often like we've been saying, you know, something that makes us feel kind of uncomfortable, right? Which is, I mean, it's, it's okay to feel a little bit uncomfortable, but talking about something very personal, but why do you think Courtney, there's so much stigma when it comes to, you know, having a positive status? Well, the information that we receive about STIs typically is from people who have never had an STI or uh, don't have an STI and don't know what it's like to have an STI. So there's just these assumptions (laughs) that are thrown there really about what a person with an STI looks like or what their behaviors are. We hear the jokes, the media has been really good about this lately of incorporating herpes as kind of like a no big deal or STIs as a no big deal because as we all know, every STI at this point in time is either treatable or curable, right? Um, There's medication for people who are diagnosed with HIV that they can go on to become undetectable, therefore not transmit the virus to others. Uh, With chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, these can be cured. And then with herpes, there's medication to uh, minimize the number of outbreaks that we have. So the way that I see stigma show up, I see it show up from the healthcare sector. I see it show up from even within the community of people who have an SCI, from the people who don't know that they know people with SCIs, because given the numbers, we all know someone who has either had one or is living with one. And we just might not know it because they don't feel comfortable in, or they don't feel it necessary to disclose that information to us. But what the stigma does is trigger a reaction within us after we're diagnosed because everything that we've thought about a person with an STI now applies to us. We're like, oh shit, that's me now, right? So if you thought that people with STIs were gross or disgusting or reckless with partners or really promiscuous. Sluts, dirty sluts, sluts. yes, (laughs) all of them. And that's, that's like what we now view ourselves as. And we've got this conflict of who we thought we were according to our sexuality versus who we think people are with STIs. And that's what becomes overpowering in us, right? So um, the mental, our reactions to a, a diagnosis can range anywhere from, I did a survey for people who listen to my podcast, Something Positive for Positive People. And I think uh, it capped out at 110, 110 responses. And 98% of the people experienced depression after a diagnosis. Half of them had uh, self-harm tendencies. So we're talking about anything from cutting, excessive drinking, and then a quarter of them had suicide ideation, and then 6% attempted suicide. So I didn't mention that earlier on, but one of the things that made me start something positive for positive people was the fact that it took me five years into my diagnosis before I began to find any sort of resources or community support. So when I got there, I began to find more people who were living with herpes. And I'm like, yeah, this is the best thing that ever happened to me, right? And I'm saying that there are people who were still 
really sad and disappointed and thinking that their lives were over and that they'd never be in a relationship or have sex again or have families. And then there were people who said, I want to kill myself. And so I saw that a few times and I just thought to myself, huh, that's weird. But it took for me after becoming friends with someone for a few weeks. And then this person opened up to me and said, yeah, I thought about killing myself as well after my diagnosis. And mind you, the biggest concern is uh, often, am I going to find someone who's going to be with me despite my diagnosis? This person had someone, this person was in their career, they were in charity work, they were I, well off from what I could see and their partner it's like, okay, well, if you got it, we got it. Like, we're in this together. And she had all that support from them. But she said that she still wanted to kill herself after her diagnosis. And that's how deep this stigma, this shame uh, really runs within us. So after seeing that, it was like, okay, I got to do something. Because me, at the time, being a 27, 28-year-old Black man saying, hey, it's going to be all right to a 20-something-year-old white girl or 40, 50-something-year-old white man, it's, it doesn't have the same impact because my experience is so far disconnected from what theirs is, right? And so I began to just ask people that were a part of these groups and communities, like I just made a few posts, hey, I want to record a conversation with somebody just so they can hear that from someone else who is living with this virus and how they got it and what their experience has been and see that they can have whatever kind of life they choose to have after their diagnosis. So it started out with one guest who was married and did everything right. And uh, her husband cheated on her and he happened to cheat with someone who had herpes and brought it back home and then she's positive. So now the stigma doesn't apply to her because she didn't do anything that the stigma says you have to do to get an STI. And then the list just went on. My next guest was someone who was sexually assaulted and got uh, herpes. And it's the exact same thing there. Like that person, they, uh, they didn't do anything to get the label of slut or uh, gross or any of the other labels that come uh, with being stigmatized as far as contracting an STI. And then the list just goes on of people that you would never hear from in relation to what their experience is with an STI because a lot of them have just moved past it in their own way. You know, once you heal from it, there's no reason to stand up on a pu uh, public platform or anything and be like, I have herpes, here's my story, because you're so disconnected from it. Like, it's really not a big deal for people, uh, for the majority of people, because they're just living their lives. They manage it, and it is what it is. So as far as the stigma goes, I think that we don't have many options of how to navigate it. So what something positive for positive people hopefully does is give people options to either, you know, come and get the information that you need and then go on your way. You can stick around if you need support or you hear a story that resonates with you or similar to yours, then you have that as something you can connect with. You see that there are so many variations of how people got it or the ways that people are living. You can step up into the advocacy space if you choose to. Um, you can choose to get involved in some way behind the scenes, but you can ultimately see how many different people there are dealing with this and how they're choosing to disclose because there's so many creative ways that people are disclosing and sharing their status and uh, still able to live 
the life again that they're choosing to live. I think it's fantastic. And, you know, having more advocates out there to talk about sexual health and STIs and STDs. I mean, I think it's really important. Uh, the stigmatization of people who have a positive diagnosis, it, it sucks. It really does. Um, you know, we grow up with all these ideas that people put into our heads, like you said, about people who have never had an STI or an STD before who are teaching about this uh, or who have had an STI or an STD or have one and don't want to disclose. Uh, so, you know, in the sense of having, <laughs> having them basically communicating to you how they even feel about it and feeling, you know, like it is a bad thing, like it is a dirty thing or a shameful thing to have a positive diagnosis. So yeah, we absolutely need more people to talk about that openly. And, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the members of the audience who have a couple of questions as well. We're going to start with letters to Lexi. This is my weekly segment where I give you the shameless, no bullshit answer that your friends might not have the titanium ovaries or balls of steel to tell you. No question is ever too taboo or queer or weird. So don't be shy. I love getting your messages. So keep them coming in write into me at Lexi at SDC.com and connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Lexi Silver. That's Lexi with an I, Silver with a Y. So I get so many of your great questions. We don't have time for all of them, unfortunately, but I chose a couple that I think Courtney could help us out with. So let's get started. So this one is from Maria. Hi, Lexi. I'm new to the swinging lifestyle and I don't know exactly what to do. How do swingers talk to each other about protection and testing and stuff? I want to make sure I play safe when it's time for all of us to start playing together again. I'm assuming she means after the quarantine. Any advice would be appreciated. When it comes to the lifestyle and we were talking about, you know, non-monogamy before, we are open. We are very open-minded and, you know, we are mostly very sexually active. That's a lot of why it's fun to be non-monogamous, consensually non-monogamous. So, if you are a newbie to the lifestyle, welcome. And also know that a lot of people who are currently in the lifestyle have all been where you are. We've all been newbies. We know what it's like. We know that you have a million and a half questions and that's okay. So when it comes to, you know, talking about protection and testing and stuff, I'll tell you how I go about it. A lot of people do different things. When I first meet somebody, it depends on the whole scenario, right? When I meet somebody physically, but when I'm in, <laughs> when I meet someone physically, if I meet somebody in a sex club, for example, and you know, we want to hook up or something like that, I'm not shy. I guess maybe that's just me. Cause like, again, I'm very shameless when it comes to a lot of things. And one of those is talking about my sexual health. So, you know, I will ask somebody like, okay, you know, I really want to play, just wanting, you know, get a feel from you. Like when was the last time you got tested? And it's totally my right to ask. They don't have to answer, which means I can decide if I don't want to play or not. It's really up to me at the end of the day. So if they don't want to disclose, that's fine. If they haven't had a test in a year, then it's up to me to see if I want to risk it or not. I like to know that people are being informed and responsible about their sexual health. So, you know, even if they tell me they have a positive diagnosis, for example, if I see that there's a sexual interest and I want to make, take it further, then I'll talk. I'll talk about it. As far as protection, that really depends on the situation. Who are you with? Are you with somebody with a penis? Or are you with somebody with a vulva? Because the way you're going to protect yourself is going to be a little bit different. So you have a lot of different options. In group settings, like threesomes and orgies, it is a little bit harder. Of course, there's a lot of people around. So typically for stuff like that, you're going to want to try a little bit ahead of time. Let's say you have already had that discussion, who got tested and when, you've decided to go through with it. The best way to go about it is to assume that either way, there is the possibility of you getting something. 
protect yourself as much as you can. You can talk to your partners about how they want to be protected, how you want to be protected too. And do yourself a favor. If you're going to go out and you know you're at a party where you could have sex, don't rely on other people to bring barriers. Don't. I always have a stash of condoms, dental dams, lubes, vibrators. I have all kinds of stuff in my bag if I know I'm going to be in a situation like that, because I'm not leaving anything up to chance. So if someone says, oh, I, I'd love to play, but I don't have a condom. Well, here you go. I do. So I'm taking control of my own sexual health and you should too. So that also includes you talking about protection and testing with other people. What do you think, Courtney? Yeah. I like what you said about making the assumption that you're going to potentially be exposed to something and then just working your protective measures back from there. So I heard someone say this in a much more like straightforward way. It was just like, assume that everyone you're playing with has something. And I was like, oh, damn, when you put it that way. All right. Yeah. And I think that no matter, like I was saying before, you know, you can get tested. And in between the time that you last got tested and the time that you're sexually active again, especially if you're with another partner, for example, who has other sexual partners, there's always that possibility. So set yourself up for that possibility. And keep in mind, if you do have a positive diagnosis or something, it is not the end of the world. And it doesn't mean that you can't continue to play and disclose and do all of that stuff. Just, you know, it's important to just take responsibility for your own sexual health with testing and protection and disclosure. So this one is from Frank. This one you could probably help with more than I can. I was just diagnosed with herpes. I have no idea who I got it from, how long I've had it, or what to do. I'm so scared to talk to my partners about this because I don't want them to stop sleeping with me or think I'm dirty. What do I do? You know, we've been talking a lot about stigma. It's like you got any other kind of medical diagnosis, just that this is a sexual one. It's no different than going to the doctor and your doctor saying, well, you have diabetes. There are things that you can do to mitigate it. You're still you. You're still fundamentally whoever you were before you got the diagnosis. A lot of shit's going on in your head. That's okay. Give it a little bit of time to settle. Seek out support. Talk to people who know what you're going through. You know, I think it's really important that if you're talking, if you're scared and you're talking to other people who are also scared, you're not going to necessarily feel any better after that conversation. So before you talk to your partners about your diagnosis and you might want to run to them right away, and you can if you want, because we seek support with our partners. But I think it's great to also inform yourself, you know, to be able to get a little bit of resources as well. So if your partner has asked you questions like, okay, well, how do I protect myself that you can arm yourself with a little bit more information? I think that's also really helpful. Or you can look up the information as well with your partners. So you could definitely find some ways to get the support that you need and Take that mental space that you need to process the information. If you're sitting in the doctor's office and you just got diagnosed, your brain is going to be pounding for a while. You're going to be like, holy shit, you're not going to process any information the doctor is going to tell you after that. It's very, very difficult. So take some time away from that and just let it, let it settle in, go through your process, and it could take some time. Give yourself permission to take the time that you need to think about it and to, to feel however you're going to feel about it. What do you think, Courtney? I think that... Step one in this would be to look yourself in the mirror and say, I have herpes and feel whatever that feeling is, because it could be like for me, I kind of laughed at myself when I did it. Um, and then that laughter just sent me through this up and down roller coaster range of emotions that I didn't know that I felt about it. So when you tell yourself you have herpes, you feel whatever it is that you actually feel about that statement. Because when you go and you tell someone else, I have herpes, 
the way that you feel about it is often going to be projected onto them and that's going to be how they respond to you. So if you say I have herpes and you're just like unable to even say the word and you're like bawling or you're so ashamed, that person's not going to want to deal with that. It's like, oh, you don't feel comfortable with this. But if you're able to just say it objectively, like, hey, here's what happened. You know, I have herpes. There's no way to know where it came from. There's no way to know how long I've had it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's common condoms don't protect you 100% from contracting it uh there's really nothing that I could have done except for I mean what go get tested every time for herpes specifically because we don't even know that and then there's a whole uh challenge of like doctors not wanting to test people for herpes if they're not showing any symptoms at all Mm -hmm. and then that just and that'll take us down a whole nother rabbit hole but step one is going to be to identify how you feel about it and then you've got to get the information so uh once you get how you feel find a credible source and then go there and get the information that you need you can go down a super long rabbit hole for months and months looking at uh inconsistent information from a bunch of different resources and therefore be confused ultimately so you don't want to do that to yourself figure out how you feel uh choose a source and stick to it and get that information and let that be, let that one credible source be where you reference whenever you're disclosing the partners. Now, as far as going and telling your partners, uh, it's important that you tell them. Uh, there are instances where there are people who, for whatever reason, cannot disclose. So Frank, I don't know if you're in an abusive relationship or where you're at risk of any sort of violence against you for disclosing your status. But if you aren't, it's very important that you disclose this information to your partners so that you can do the responsible thing. Just give them the choice because we weren't given a choice. Frank, you weren't given the choice. I wasn't given the choice, but we're able to offer that choice to our partners as to whether or not they want to put themselves at risk. And then we, with arming ourselves with information, we can take the precautions necessary to minimize the risk as best we can. So you got to understand how you feel about it and go into it with confidence and be like, hey, you know, here's what happened. And just be as objective as you can with an understanding of how you feel about it and how you would like for them to feel about it. And hell, shit, if you listen back a little bit earlier, you can take some notes from how to make it sexy and you can take it there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really good advice. You know, I I think it's great that they're experts. Well, experts. I think that's really great that there are resources like you out there and like something positive for positive people. The podcast, you know, it's very helpful as a resource. You know, there are very uh, minimal, I would say, credible resources when it comes to sexual health because, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's objective, that's unbiased. And also that is, like you said, experience-based that, you know, uh, is real people talking to other real people who have dealt with this before, right? So I think that's really important. And, you know, that wraps up this week's letters to Lexi. So if you want me to answer your question about sex and relationships, email me at Lexi at SDC.com and uh, find me or find me on social media at Lexi Silver. That's Lexi with an I, Silver with a Y. And then I might answer your question on my next episode. So Courtney, since you're such a great resource for this, can you tell us a little bit about how people can find you and something positive for positive people after this? All right. So the website is the abbreviation SPFPP.org. Uh, you can go there and on the homepage, you'll see options to donate. So it's a nonprofit. And what we're doing is paying for people to get therapy who are struggling with their diagnosis. Uh, 
then the options are there for Venmo, PayPal, and then you can become a Patreon subscriber as well. Uh, the podcast is on that website where you can scroll through and listen to a number of different experiences from people who are living with herpes, with HIV, who've had uh, chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis stories. Uh, there's 130 episodes to at this point. The podcast is weekly. I consistently release episodes on Wednesdays. And, um, I, and I can also be found on social media. Uh, the handle is at H on my chest on everything. Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and Reddit. Facebook group is something positive for positive people. And uh, I'm most active on Instagram. But yeah, I'm always accepting stories. If people want to be interviewed on the podcast, you can remain anonymous. Uh, if you want to share your experience of how you were diagnosed and how your healing process went for you and how you navigated stigma, it's a really liberating process. And I think that a lot of people have experienced some aspect of healing, being able to safely tell their story you know, without any judgment, and especially for the sake of helping and supporting someone else who may find their experience, who can relate, or who can take their story and sort of use it as a roadmap. That is it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're a great resource and you've been wonderful with me today and giving all us all of this information and great insight and advice about what to do if you have a positive diagnosis and you know all the other all the other great ways to talk to people about what's going on in your body. So thank you so much again for joining me. I really, really appreciate our time. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Lexi. And that is it for this week's episode, my lectual friends. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget that you can learn more about sex, health, and relationships as you seek, discover, and connect at sdc.com. Use my promo code 7070 on SDC and try it out for yourself. Tune in live on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America's Variety Channel for my next show. And you can always download my podcast episodes whenever you want them on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play Music. Thanks for joining me, Lexi Silver, on Seek, Discover, Create. Until next time, stay lectual, people. Bye. We appreciate you joining us on Seek, Discover, Create, presented by SDC.com. Please join your host, Lexi Silver, on another erotic journey next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, may you enjoy exploring your sexuality. 